It's Wednesday, July 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris L. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Matt Koppenheffer. Good to see you, gents. Yo. Yo. Uh, earnings for loser rolls on. So we will just, uh, we've got Pepsi, Apple, Panera, Caterpillar, Ford, and we have the latest news out of the SEC, which should be a surprise to absolutely no one. Uh, and here's a hint: it involves Bitcoin. Um, let's start with Pepsi. Second quarter profit up 35 percent. They reiterated guidance for the full year. But I think for us, Jason, the big news is that nowhere, nowhere in the earnings announcement was there any mention of the weather. The same weather that was such a burden to Coca-Cola this past quarter. Apparently, Pepsi operates in a universe with completely different weather. Did you know that from my time living in Egypt, I, I discovered that Pepsi actually is spelled a little bit differently there? Arabic doesn't have a letter P, so to okay. speak, so it's a letter B, and so it's Biebzi as okay. it's spelled on the bottle. Just kind of an interesting did you know. There's a good little factoid for exactly. your next cocktail now, party. Now you get something, there you go. Uh, you know, I, I was right there on board with you. We were talking about this morning. No mention of weather whatsoever until the earnings call. They oh. lost a few points there, in the, but I can't help but wonder. I mean, maybe they were listening to market foolery last week and decided just to throw the adverts. They had pretty solid results. Yeah. They decided to throw the little European and U.S. adverts weather line in there just for just to rub it in a little bit to Coca-Cola, right? And just to kind of tighten the screws just a little bit on them. Uh, but I mean, Pepsi had a, a pretty solid quarter. I mean, it looked like the numbers were really good all the way around. Uh, China China revenue was was golly up twenty percent uh, plus in snacks and sodas. Uh, you know, this is this is where I think people probably sell Pepsi a little bit short, not thinking about uh, what they have beyond the beverages. And so your salty snacks, I mean, hey, that's there's always going to be a good market for that, and they sell them all around the world. Uh, I, there are a lot of things to be encouraged about. This. That snack division's r- responsible for more than a third of their operating profit, uh, so that's significant. But it was really good to see those numbers, and uh, yeah, a little bit counter to what we heard last week from Coca-Cola, so I think Pepsi picked up a little share. And Matt, uh, this is a theme that I think is going to play out throughout the quarter and even throughout this podcast, but this whole notion of the global economy, and in particular China, it it almost seems like it's it's going to vary from company to company because we've had some companies reporting earnings saying, "Look, China's really killing us," and then in the case of Pepsi, it's like, "No, no, no, we're doing fine there." Well, I, yeah, I think it's going to depend on what the particular product is, how how penetrated they are in China, uh, and and the other emerging markets. I think to Jason's point, it, it was a solid quarter for Pepsi. But it, it's the salty snacks. It's the it's the food division. It continues to be the story there that that is driving whatever the the bright spots are in Pepsi and the the beverage the beverage division continues to I don't know kind of plot along and and for a while there I'm a, I'm a Pepsi shareholder myself and for a while there I wasn't really on board with the idea of splitting the company up into two. They say you know we've got all of these cross promotional cross promotional advantages of having the snacks and the sodas. I'm not so sure I'm on board with that anymore. I I think maybe there's there's an advantage to splitting it up and letting investors focus in on either a really strong uh, snack food company or a or a beverage company that you know does well but may not be growing anywhere near as fast. What do you think the odds are, say, in the next three years, that it does split off the snack division? Ten percent or lower. Really? Uh, I don't think it's very high. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I just I, I look at it, it's such a relevant part of the business today. I just don't know why management will look to get rid of it. Um, when you think of the stock, so if if you're thinking if you're looking at Pepsi and you're thinking about shares, then obviously that's not 
part of your calculus going in, like, I'm going to take a flyer on this just because I think that if they split off the snack division, it's, you know, I'm going to get a nice pop out of it. Well, I mean, I think the stock is certainly interesting. It's a little bit cheaper than Coca-Cola today at around 20 times earnings. Uh, a little bit, I think a little bit less on the, on the dividend yield side. But but I think that really, as long as they continue uh, to fire away on that on that salty snacks division, they're going to continue to do well. It's it's sort of, you have to think about that beverage market and really uh, the, the loss of uh, market share from all of these companies in regard to the, to the carbonated beverages. But, but how they're responding to that is pretty good. So it's certainly worth a look. I'm a little bit more of a Coca-Cola guy, though. Well, yeah, you were you were born in Georgia, weren't you? I was actually born in South Carolina, but we moved up here from Georgia. Okay, yeah. all right. So that's yep. you know, take now that. if I was from North Carolina, you'd take be, that with you'd a grain of salt, Pepsi guy, right? But no. <laughs> um, Apple's second quarter results. Uh, the big headline, Matt, is the uh, more than thirty-one million iPhones that were sold, which is a record for the June quarter. Net profit of just shy of seven billion dollars. Uh, shares up this morning. What'd you think of the quarter? It was fine. <laughs> it's, 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 Don't you is, feel even remotely bad about couching it as fine when the number we are talking about in terms of the quarterly profit that almost any company would kill to have is just under $7 billion? Wait, wait, let me think. It's fine. It's, <laughs> it, it's you know, to me, it's it's not a quarter to quarter story. It's a you know, this is a hits based business, so it's re- it, it really is going to boil down to when they talk about we're going to have some exciting new things this fall and on into twenty fourteen. That's what it's all about. I mean, that's that's where we're going to see the iPhone business did well. The the other the the iPad, the sales of the iPads weren't weren't looking that great. The sales of the Macs weren't looking that great. So it's it's going to be about what are they going to come out with, and and are consumers going to gravitate to it like they have uh, Apple's other other big releases? Um, this isn't getting the same level of headline as the iPhone sales, but the share buyback that they executed sixteen billion dollars worth, which <laughs> I, again worth pointing out, that is bigger than the market cap of Nokia. Certainly much bigger than BlackBerry's. Uh, you can even go back to what Google paid for Motorola. It's more than that. It's, uh, should we be surprised by that? No. I mean, we knew this is what they'd been planning on doing all along. And I think part of that is because what Apple has become now is a story much about, as Matt said, what's next. And so it's all about innovation with these guys. And while they talk about what may be coming next, and it could be really special, and whether it's a watch or a TV, who knows. Uh, but they they need to figure out a way to make that investment still look somewhat enticing. So, uh, I mean, the, the dividend, raising the dividend, and now buying back shares, which, let's be very clear here, I mean, buying back shares essentially will just offset the dilution of stock-based compensation that this company offers out. It's not unique. I mean, all these tech companies do it, but but it's not like they're going to cut the share count in half because of this. So, I mean, it, it's good. It'll create some value, I think, for shareholders. But the bottom line is Apple needs to come out with something. It just has to be something. I mean, it's all about innovation. Until they do that, I think the stock is going to probably hang right about where it is. Uh, Matt, uh, back to China once again. Uh, this is a case where you just look at Apple's quarter and the economic struggles in China really did hurt their overall revenue. Um, is that something they can overcome? Or is it, to Jason's point, is, that, is this a situation where if they come out with the next great thing, whether it's a watch or whatever it is, then it almost doesn't matter what's going on in China. That, to, to me, that's exactly it. It's it, it really is about is the magic still there? Are they are they still going to come out with with the next thing that everybody has to have? And in, in the meantime, I, I you know there's also part of the story that in the meantime they've got a ton of cash. They're generating a ton of cash, 
And in addition to the share buybacks, if you include dividends over the last nine months, they've returned $26 billion to investors. And I say returned, and that's, you know, that's a little dicey to, to say when it comes to share buybacks, because oftentimes, or maybe most of the time, companies really botch share buybacks. They yeah. buy back a whole ton of stock when, it, when it's trading way too high, and then they'll, they'll issue or, or cut off the buybacks when the stock is trading at a more reasonable valuation. Today, Apple's valuation looks pretty interesting. I think it looks actually looks pretty cheap. Uh, so this is, I think, a great time to be doing share buybacks. So I think that really is a good good use of shareholder capital. Panera's second quarter profits up 16%. Same-store sales were up nearly 4%. Uh, but they lowered guidance, and yep. once again, the guidance trumps the results. Well, it does, and I mean, let's you know, let's the results weren't all that stellar. I mean, they missed on earnings, they missed on revenue, and comps were lower uh, than than many were looking for three three and the uh, three point eight percent. You compare that to something like Chipotle that just fired out five and a half percent comps. So there is a difference there, and I mean, it's it's all it all comes back to uh, slower store traffic, which is is you know a big problem when you're a restaurant. But uh, Panera focuses. Uh, constantly, every quarter, quarter in, quarter out, on four uh, strategies towards towards their long term vision, and that's improving the food quality. And so you see that with new salads and signature sandwiches and the new pastas that they just uh, introduced. Uh, they focus on marketing and my Panera loyalty card program. Uh, it's worth noting my Panera card. Uh, the, the card now they're fourteen and a half million members versus eleven million last year represents about half of all their transactions. Uh, focusing on growth and catering, which is growing every quarter. Uh, they view catering essentially as incremental, meaning it's just additional sales that they would have otherwise just foregone. And, and I think that you'll continue to see uh, them growing that catering business. And then operational improvement. As they get bigger, as they open more stores and have their strategically located supply centers, uh, being able to, to recognize all of that, let it trickle on down to the bottom line in, in higher operating margins, higher net margins. And, and they saw an improvement in operating margins. But I think they also see you know, some headwinds in the restaurant industry here, as as many have, and uh, and so Panera's going to going to you know suffer from that. But I think that today's sell off is probably a little bit of an overreaction, and I think for foolish investors who have that really long time frame in mind, uh, Panera is a it's a genuine opportunity. I think to still be part of an interesting growth story. I, I just want to ping off of the the growth opportunity because we were talking earlier today about Chipotle. And the shop house, the Asian concept that they have, and I think it's fair to say that that you and I think slightly differently in terms of the rollout. That their Chipotle is testing these. They've got one in D.C. They've got one in L.A. And they're really. I, I think it's over the next twelve months. They're looking to open four more. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Which I just consider to be. Hey, look, if it's working, then let's get a little bit more aggressive. I say this as a as a relatively new Chipotle shareholder. Uh, but you you're trusting management and and that's probably a you know a, a more nuanced way of thinking um, but uh, Panera how, when you look at how they roll out their new locations do you feel like they do it at a, at a pretty measured pace I well I think they're two different stories certainly Panera opens at a, at a quicker pace than Chipotle but also Panera utilizes franchises uh, so the past quarter they opened 37 restaurants and I think that split about middle half of Company owned and half of franchises, so that enables them to open open stores uh, more quickly. Uh, but you know they're just opening Paneras, and I think a Panera is a Panera is a Panera. They're all the same. Uh, with Chipotle, I, I mean, I appreciate what they're doing because 
they don't want to they don't want to take their eyes off of what's getting them where they are in the first place and because that story hasn't fully played out yet i think they don't want to you know drop the ball on the on the namesake stores and move on over to shop house without making sure they uh they dot all their I's and cross all their T's with with the Chipotle stores. But Panera is able to roll out a little bit uh, more quickly. And then what they do over time is they find some good performing franchise restaurants and they can buy those back, mm-hmm. uh, bring them under that company-owned uh, umbrella. So a little bit different different there. But I think that both management teams are working uh, uh, good models with their respective businesses. What was the name of that Mexican chain that you told me about in Las Vegas that you just loved. You're like, I've I've gone there, I've eaten there, and now I can never eat anywhere else. Cafe Rio. Cafe Rio. Cafe, Cafe Rio. And Rio. and I was in I was in Las Vegas for Fourth of July, and I ate there twice. Over, over On the Fourth of, of July, just over, you over went the, back for bre- lunch and dinner. I went there twice for breakfast. <laughs> nice. Caterpillar's second quarter profits down. Forty-three percent. Their margins contracted. They lowered guidance. It's Almost hard to believe that the stock, as we walked in the studio, was only down 1%. I realize we're talking about a very large company, but uh, did anything go right this past quarter? Well, I, you know, when, when I look at it, I think a lot of the story here is the, the metals and mining market, right? And if, you know, if you look at the back to the first half of, of 2013 for the, the S&P 500, Every, just about every company is, you know, except maybe Apple. Right. Every company has done well, except Apple, and then all the metals and mining company. It's it's just been it's been a terrible year for that. And and who it, that is a that is a big big industry for Caterpillar. And so I mean, to some extent, and maybe that goes to the the market's reaction after this uh, after this announcement is that nobody's all that surprised about it. Now, what's interesting is that we continue to see. We just saw another announcement from uh, out of China today that manufacturing is continuing to contract at an even faster pace than it was before. And that doesn't sound like it's as big of an issue for, uh, for Caterpillar directly. But when we think about the, the troubles in the metals and mining market, uh, China, such a big, uh, such a big consumer of, me- of the metals uh, over the past few years, was a big driver of that industry. And I think the cooling over there in China has had a big impact on that industry as well. So in terms of the stock, is this... I don't know anything about the metals and mining industry. <laughs> but my assumption is that if there's a slowdown, if there are troubles in the industry over the past six months, then there's no real good reason to imagine that that's going to pick up in the rest of 2013. Yeah. Is it, that safe to assume? Yeah. I mean, next six months, I mean, you're probably not going to see a, a real quick turnaround. And But, but at, at the risk of being too breezy about it, it's it's Caterpillar. I mean, it, and, and, and this is, I mean, this is a, a cyclical industry we're talking about. And, and Caterpillar is still, I mean, the major name. I was going to say, they're the biggest player. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about uh, Boeing was uh, last week. And, and it's a very similar story there, that it's a, it's a dominant player in a very important market that's not going to go away. I mean, when you think 10 years down the road, who's, you know, creating heavy machinery to to do mining to move to move earth to do heavy heavy building it's got a pillar yeah and you got to look at those non-oecd countries i mean india china the forecast for many many years to come is that those those countries are going to be very dependent on mining coal copper and the like so as, as matt was saying it's a cyclical industry these stocks are pretty cheap today on their own so when an announcement comes out like this that's why you don't see it move a whole heck of a lot because a lot of low expectations already baked in by the way you mentioned boeing uh, one of the people i follow on twitter is carl quintanilla from cnbc and 
he wrote on Twitter today that uh, the number of the day, in his opinion, comes from Boeing. And let's set the context. This is on a day when a whole ton of companies, including a, you know, a bunch of the ones that we're talking about here, reported earnings today. He says the number of the day comes from Boeing, and it is their backlog order to the tune of $410 billion. So it's like, oh, now I get it. Now I get why... <laughs> Plane spontaneously combusting on the runway is not a big deal because when you have an order backlog of over four hundred billion dollars, uh, you're going to be fine. You tack on another potential seventy-five billion with the U.S. Air Force as well. Ford's second quarter profit up nearly sixteen percent, and I guess part of the reason shares are hitting a two-year high is the fact that uh, things are if they're they're getting better in Europe. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Things appear to be getting. You're not going to jinx it. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, I'm not going to jinx it. But I mean, there, and we've said for a while now, Ford, if they can ever stem the tide of losses in Europe, we're going to see the stock move, and that appears to be what's happening today. Absolutely, and I mean the numbers, you know, bear that out. I mean, they are recognizing, like you noted, a turnaround in Europe. Things are improving. Uh, the situation in China is encouraging. They've built a lot of production facilities out there over the past uh, several years. North America continues to do well. Uh, folks are out there buying pickup trucks. I mean, that's that's where they've really made most of their market share gains. But, I mean, if you just look at the market share gain numbers uh, in general, I mean, Ford has gained market share from 16.1% last year to 16.7% this year. Uh, whereas you look at something like a GM, and GM has actually lost market share uh, from 19.3% down to 18.9%. So uh, yeah, I've always felt like Ford makes better cars. I've always felt like they make cars that are more in touch with what consumers want. And uh, and they also make some pretty strong pickups. And, and they've seen you know a nice boost in North American sales thanks to their pickup line. Uh, and and you, you can't you can't neglect to mention Alan Mulally in this in this uh, in any quarter because what he's done with this company has really changed their mentality and their culture, and I think he's he's helped set that company up for I think a lot of years of success to come. You were smiling while he was talking about Ford making better cars. I, I was thinking about the fact that that I am one of those consumers that that differentiates very little between one car and the next, as long as it gets me from point A to point B. Oh yeah, let's be very clear. I'm a, I'm a car as a point A to point B guy. I drive a Camry, all right. But uh, no, I mean I you know my my father, for example, drives a Ford Expedition. I mean it's just I, I've always felt like Ford, and having been to the auto show a couple of years out in Detroit, Ford always just struck me as having more pleasing yeah. cars. No, and, and I mean you're talking about growing up in in South Carolina in in particular. Particularly in the South, in many parts of the country, I mean, a, a Ford truck is, I mean, nothing stacks up to a Ford truck. And it, Isn't it sh- that like a commercial? It, sh- it should be mentioned. <laughs> along- <laughs> this, this podcast brought to you by yeah, Ford exactly. Trucks. Um, no, it should be mentioned that they're in those same parts of the country. Uh, GM is looked down upon for taking government money, for taking the bailout. That is Ford a- didn't take it, and that that is something that I think will pay dividends for years to come, you probably can't quantify it in any meaningful way. But uh, you can't quantify it, but except you can when, feel you it. It. when you, you look at these results. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that is, I, I, you bring that up. That is a real point. I mean, I think people chuckle about that as kind of a stereotype, but but there is a real sentiment regarding that. Yeah. It still Government exists. Motors. Um, God, I love this story. The SEC. <laughs> 
uh, this morning announced that they have uh, formally charged a man in Texas with running not just a Ponzi scheme, but a Bitcoin Ponzi scheme, uh, Trendon T. Shavers. Let's mull that wonderful name over again. It's like out of a, a like an Elmore Leonard novel. Trendon T. Shavers has been accused of running a Bitcoin Ponzi fund that collected Bitcoins from investors and promised them a return of 7% per week. <sighs> uh, people what's, what's not believable about that uh, once again i uh, you know i don't i don't want to i don't want to overstate things but i feel like if just a, if we had a few more dozens of listeners people wouldn't get sucked in by 7% per week what are you thinking this was the 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 entity that he did it through was called Bitcoin Savings and Trust, which I which I love. It didn't so so it did involve Bitcoins. It's got there was it's got trust. There in was the neither title. savings nor trust <laughs> involved in any of this. And he also he he went by the name the names pirate and pirate at forty. How do you miss that? How do you miss that? Seven percent promising seven percent per week. You're, you're giving bitcoins to a pirate. So pirate is his like screen name or something on a website or something like that. I, I guess. I mean, how do you, if you're the person, I, I know there's people out there that lost some serious money with this, but I mean, how do you explain that to someone? Yeah, like when you're a kid and you have to explain to your mom and dad how you, you screwed up and you got a, your tail between your legs. But I mean, when you're an adult and you're making those kinds of decisions, I mean, how, how do you even explain that to someone? Yeah. If you're married, oh my God, if you have to explain that to your wife. Yeah, that's, oh, that's got to be a fabulous I conversation. I bought Bitcoin investments from a guy named Pirate and now it's all gone. Oh. But here's, so here's the question to you guys. Okay. One, of the, one of the things that really jumped out at me, this happened between 2011 and 2012 and the, the it was 700,000 investments and it, it amounted to $4.5 million worth of Bitcoin at the time. The same amount of Bitcoin is worth $60 million today. Are you guys buying Bitcoin looking at those numbers? Come on. Emphatically, no. (laughs) It's not 7% per week, but hey. Uh, That is impressive. But again, just the whole notion that the the Winklevoss twins are (laughs) are heavily involved in this, uh, in the whole Bitcoin movement, that that is just – that is strikes one, two, and three right there. And (laughs) – you know, maybe Trendon T. Shavers has himself a heck of a lawyer. Maybe, you know, maybe he – what's the character on Breaking Bad? Saul? Oh, yeah. Better call Saul. Better call oh, Saul. Yeah. Yep. Better call Saul. That'd be good. Jason Moser, Matt Coppenheffer, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As thanks. always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. And for the love of God, don't buy bitcoins. <laughs> That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. You know what I can't believe we failed to mention yesterday? Yesterday was National Hot Dog Day. Did it you w- know that? Um, I, I learned it late in the day. Now, yeah. am I the only one seeing the irony of the Anthony Weiner news on National Hot Dog Day? And Monica Lewinsky's 40th birthday. Oh, my God. You just couldn't have scripted (laughs) that any better.